0: Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s, while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. Hey everyone, this is episode 17, and it's a warrior story with a twist so uh, we typically have stories on here where we're talking about infertility but today's story is a little bit different so today we have uh, christina at christina wang dmd on instagram and we talk about her autoimmune disease how the progression of her disease and the medications that she's on to stabilize her disease have kept her from getting pregnant um so she's not necessarily infertile but there are obstacles because of her disease um that makes it difficult for her to be pregnant, and so she has to use a uh, gestational carrier. So we do a deep dive into what it's like to be told that you can't carry your own pregnancy, and um, what she's learned from her first successful uh, surrogacy experience, and she reviews some of the struggles and lessons she's learned as she embarks on her second surrogacy experience. Um, She is a complete open book and like so many other warriors I've had on here, it just holds nothing back for you. And I'm so, so grateful for that. My goal here has always been to showcase all different ways people are growing their families. So I hope this episode um, helps those out there who are struggling with an autoimmune condition and maybe have been told that there may be obstacles in expanding their family. Um, If you found value in this conversation, I would love, love, love for you to drop a five-star review or a written review to help get this episode in as many ears as possible. As you know, the information provided today is for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional, medical, or legal advice. So, make sure that you discuss your personal situation um, with your fertility team to decide what is the best course of action for you. Um, Heads up. There is explicit language on this episode, so just be mindful of where you're playing it, and let's be real, moving forward, I would just probably prepare for explicit language in any Warrior Story episode because I think uh, we get a little frustrated with our situation, and um, it's cathartic sometimes to just let it all out, so um, I would just prepare for that. (laughs) Um, I want to thank Christina for sharing your story with us, and all of your nuggets of wisdom that you've learned on your, I'm going to call it one and a half experiences with surrogacy. I'm so grateful for your time and your generosity, and you're just such a valuable resource for our community of warriors and people undergoing their own surrogacy experiences and maybe even having autoimmune conditions. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful. Um, Enjoy, guys all right everyone we're back with another episode and today we have Christina Wang and she is another warrior story but slightly different spin on this one so it's definitely a story I wanted to share so thank you so much Christina for joining us today thank you for having me I'm happy to be here (laughs) yeah so Um, Your story is interesting because it's, you know, most of the stuff that we share in here, people are struggling with fertility, but that's not your issue. Your issue is related to your autoimmune disease. So can we start with your autoimmune disease? Um, How did you find out about it and how has it affected you?
1: Sure. Um, So I found out about it, um, I think it was when I was finishing up college. I think it was my last year in college and I was just having like, Random joint pain that was just kind of like unexplained. I think it started off with like my heels hurting really bad. Like it feels like you like sprained your ankle and it like you have to limp, but you didn't do anything to it. And so that was pretty much the only symptom I had for a really long time. Um, And we just like, my dad's a physician. So we went through like Lyme disease testing and like all the other stuff. And then finally we were like, okay, we need to see a rheumatologist. Like that's like our next step. And really like when you think of lupus, you probably think of like the butterfly rash and like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a whole list of other things, but, for, the, for quite a few years, I really only had joint pain and we just couldn't figure it out. And then when I went to the rheumatologist, they were just like, you know, you have the markers for it, but we can't really diagnose you because clinically you're not showing enough signs. And so it went on like that for a while. Um, and then finally, when I was in dental school, um, I... It it basically just got way worse. It got to the point where, like, I couldn't get out of bed by myself. Um, It was That was probably the worst flare-up that I had ever had. But Mm -hmm. I hadn't really had a solid diagnosis for the last few years leading up to that because all the rheumatologists I saw were like, you know, we can't really diagnose you because you're just not like the typical presentation. So that was frustrating. But then in dental school, when this huge flare-up happened, I mean— Like I I was like popping ibuprofen first thing in the morning, like just to get out of bed. It actually gave me like a stomach ulcer because like obviously you're not supposed to take that on an empty stomach. Uh, But it was like the only thing that could get me out of bed. And then um, just like up all night in like agony, like rolling around, just like every joint in my body felt like it was either like broken or sprained, like my shoulder, my elbow, my hip, my knees, my toes my ankles and then my mom actually had to come stay with me for a little bit and just had to like help me shower help me go to the bathroom all that stuff um so that was in dental school which I started dental school in 2014 I believe 20 Mm -hmm. no 2013 so that's when I was like officially diagnosed but I had had the symptoms for a little bit before that um so yeah I was 20 um I don't even remember what I just said. 2013, I think, is mm-hmm. when I was first, like, officially diagnosed.
0: hmm And so um, as far as the... Um part where you kind of talked about um, needing a gestational carrier as a result of your disease. So I kind of want to back up just a little bit only because um, for most of us, I find that one of the things that is difficult is that um, there there's no conversation around fertility in general, like as part of right. our normal primary care, like we don't talk about like- you know, you're especially because you knew you were going to dental school. You knew that some of these choices would need to be pushed back a little bit. Right. And people have kids in dental school. People have kids during, you know, resi- residency, fellowship, things like that. Yeah. Um. But did any of your like, I'm just curious if any of your primary care doctors, your, you know, GYN or even your rheumatologist said, hey, you have this disease. And I, I don't know if you're medicated for it. Mm-hmm, or, I am. Yeah. So and whether or not those drugs affect fertility, was that conversation ever, like, did that ever happen?
1: Yeah. And so um, basically, I mean, I've, I've always been the person that has like always wanted to be pregnant. Like I just like Mm -hmm. looked forward to it so much, but like you said, I was waiting until after I was going to be done with school, but Mm -hmm. um, all my rheumatologists had said uh, that it would be, like the the main medication for lupus that a lot of people take is Plaquenil, which is safe mm-hmm. during pregnancy. And so mm-hmm. we knew that it was going to be a high-risk pregnancy and that there's a good chance for a flare-up after you deliver. It usually gets calm during pregnancy, and then afterwards you tend to flare. But that was something that we were like completely willing to do at that point. Um, but once I had that really bad flare-up, they put me on a medication called mycophenolate, which is super toxic for like for a fetus or if you were to get pregnant and you have to actually be off of it for many years. But since 2000, I think the flare up happened in 2013 or 14. But since then, I've actually not even gotten off that medication. So it's been that long. And I actually after during residency, when I had like another really bad flare up, they upped the dose of that medication. And then um, actually, so for the first time since then, I'm like down 500 milligrams, but like, I'm still on like a pretty high dose of that medication. So even if I wanted to still get pregnant right now, like right now, because of that medication, I would not be able to just because it's so toxic to get pregnant on and for like a baby. Um, But yeah, up until residency, uh, I had always planned to still do it and just take on the high risk. But um, in residency, when I had that uh, other bad flare up is when uh, I actually, I guess, and you probably know this from going through school too, like in residency, I was just so exhausted all the time that I don't think I was like in tune enough with my body to differentiate like, oh, this is like disease activity versus like, I'm just exhausted from residency because I was Mm -hmm. just exhausted all the time like as a baseline and so and for me the joint pain which is still pretty much like being tired and joint pain are the main two things for me but even with Mm -hmm. the joint pain it's just a constant like level kind of all the time Mm -hmm. like there's some days where things don't hurt as much but like it's probably more rare to not have like anything bother me and so I didn't realize I was having a really bad flare up. And the only thing that actually um, prompted it was that I started getting this weird rash on my legs. And I was like, that's weird. Like, I don't don't know what that's from. And I've never had anything like that before. Um, And so I had gone to my rheumatologist and he was like, something's going on. I think you need to see this dermatologist who like specializes in autoimmune disorders. And then we also ran my labs and that, rash was the first sign that it was really affecting my kidneys and like my protein the protein in my urine was like through the roof but I had no idea but obviously like the disease activity had gone way up Um, and so it was at that point once the kidneys started to get involved was when we all kind of took a step back and then um, you know I met with my nephrologist, rheumatologist, high-risk OBGYN, hematologist, blah, blah, blah. And then at that point, we were were all basically just like, it'd probably be safer for you not to carry. Um, But until I had the organ involvement, like I was fully on board with carrying. Like there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to. Um, But once that had happened, that was when things kind of turned the other way.
0: Mm -hmm. When did that conversation happen? Like, was it after you're like, okay, I'm ready to conceive. Let's check in with everyone. Or was this kind of an ongoing thing? Uh, Well, so
1: once all of that happened and like I started having to see like the nephrologist and everything, like we were just trying to get like that under control. So like getting pregnant at that time wasn't really on my mind, even though like we knew like maybe towards the end of residency, we could entertain it. Cause like maybe that way I could be pregnant and then give birth like once residency's over. So we were kind of warming up to that. And then, um, the conversation came up with my nephrologist and I was like, when do you think I'll be able to like get off this medication? Cause I know it's, you can't get pregnant on it. And he was just like, honestly, like, it's probably going to be several years. And I remember, like, leaving that appointment and I was just like, fuck. Like, I, I just I guess I just didn't expect that, like to not even have that chance for many more years because you have to taper off the medication. So then I was like, well, so at that point we were like, well, would you even recommend me carrying at this point? Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of sparked the conversation at that point. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So from that point to the point you actually decided to conceive and become a parent, mm-hmm. um, what was the time frame between the, the two?
1: Um, at that point, it probably took um, probably like a few months of just kind of like thinking about everything. And then We, during residency, I was like, okay, if, if this is what we have to do, it's probably best for us to, you know, see a fertility doctor. So then Mm -hmm. at that point. Um, just kind of, there was a recommendation from the high-risk pregnancy doctor. And she was Mm -hmm. like, oh, you got to go see Dr. Thomas in Dallas. If anyone needs a doctor Mm -hmm. in Dallas, go see Dr. Thomas. (laughs) I I literally tell everyone. (laughs) Yes, Um, But so then that's when we met with her. Um, And so this, I think, was maybe like towards the end of 2018. And then um, in 2019 was when we did the first egg retrieval. And then Um, Even before we did the egg retrieval, we were like kind of starting that whole process of like, do we go with an agency? Like, do we start looking for a surrogate? All that. Um, So I think it was like 2018-19 was when kind of that whole like surrogacy journey like officially started.
0: Mm hmm. And I always ask everyone who's gone through IVF this question because I'm curious about what everyone's first experience is like. Mm-hmm. So how, how many retrievals have you done? We did two retrievals, two retrievals. Mm-hmm. OK, so what was your first retrieval experience like? Um, you know, I didn't have I knew one girl um,
1: who was uh, who had done an egg retrieval, but none of my friends have um gone like none of my close friends that I uh, knew back then have gone through like any sort of like IVF or like fertility issues Um, so I was pretty much in the dark on it I I mean I was really just going off what my doctor was telling me and just kind of trying to trust that process but I do remember there was like the one girl I knew that had done an egg retrieval had gotten like 30 eggs Mm -hmm. and I remember in my retrieval I think we got like 11 the first time And because I like Didn't know anyone and, and my doctor had said Like you know The number doesn't matter Like what matters Is like what you end up with Right But I just remember Being like Oh my gosh Like, I, like I'm fucked. like i fucked yeah. Like uh, th- th- How does this girl Get like 30 yeah. eggs And like yeah. I, We only got like 11 Like I was like yeah. We're screwed So it yeah. was just a lot of I guess Obviously like a lot of waiting But just like Not really knowing because I didn't have close friends that were going through that process at all mm-hmm. um, and I think it's really easy to like compare yourself right with like even oh, yeah. just like simple numbers like that so you I don't know it's just, I think the most important thing is to really just try not to let any other noise in but yeah it was mm-hmm. just kind of a lot of you know trusting my doctor and luckily everything mm-hmm. worked out okay but mm-hmm. I just we just didn't really know anyone going through it at the time.
0: Mm hmm. And so for your second retrieval, do you feel like that was a better experience because you had it like you knew more what to expect? You didn't expect 30 eggs. You you know, you were like, OK, I, I know where my number should be.
1: Yeah, well, I think it was good because I, I did know what to expect, but I think also because. I knew what to expect. I feel like I was almost putting like a lot of pressure just on like the situation Mm. in general. Cause for the second egg retrieval, we weren't in Dallas anymore. And so we were Mm. having to like fly back to Dallas schedule. Like I started a new job. I had to like take off work, reschedule patients like, and so that's harder. Whereas like in residency, like the clinic was Mm -hmm. super close to school and I could just be like, Oh, like I got to go for a little bit and then come back. Mm -hmm. So It was more challenging because of my work situation and just not being local to the clinic anymore. Um, And so, like, the stress of all of that actually just, like, delayed the whole thing. So, that Mm -hmm. in itself was stressful. Um, But I think it was better, just like you had said, kind of knowing what my numbers were. And Mm -hmm. luckily, like, even with getting 11 eggs, we still, I think, we ended up with five uh, PGS tested healthy Mm -hmm. embryos which Mm -hmm. which is great like five Mm -hmm. is absolutely amazing so Mm -hmm. um so I I guess I could like feel assured in that but again Mm -hmm. just like trying not to like compare yourself to anyone Mm
0: -hmm. yeah is for at least for the retrieval portion is that what is that your like tip for anyone going through the IVF or egg retrieval I think your like biggest tip
1: yeah I think through any sort of fertility or IVF egg retrieval, any of that, the most important, like, I think my husband always is the one who's kind of keeping me grounded, but he's always Mm -hmm. saying that you can't, you have to try not to stress out about things that are out of your control. So Mm -hmm. The egg retrieval, like I can't like magically make more eggs appear, you know, and I Mm -hmm, can't mm -hmm. I can't have more healthy embryos come and like it's valid to feel like frustrated or sad. But you are putting extra stress on yourself by worrying about something that's like completely out of your hands. So that's Mm -hmm. just what I have to what he's always telling me and what I have to try to tell myself. So I think probably the best advice I can give is to like try not to let things that are out of your hands stress you out too much um, Mm -hmm. and you also have to try not to compare yourself to anyone Mm because it's your it's your fertility it's your journey and I know it's really Mm -hmm. hard but I think it can definitely take a toll on your mental health if you Mm -hmm. stress out too much or if you compare yourself to others too much but that being said it's really hard to not freak out and not stress out all of it it's way easier said than done but I think luckily he he's usually able to just kind of bring me back so Mm -hmm. it's helpful to have a supportive partner for sure
0: yeah Um, and you were talking about earlier how you know for the longest time you've always wanted to carry a pregnancy Mm -hmm. and you know that was part of what you had imagined Mm -hmm. when you had the conversation with your nephrologist and you know the rest of your care team and they said you know what probably too risky for you to do this like from an emotional perspective how did you feel like how and, and how did you process it
1: um I I think it's crushing honestly like you especially as like a woman like you for someone who's always looked forward to it it's it's a big deal right it's it's a big deal to not carry your child especially when you've never imagined anything else so there was a lot of tears but um It also took some time just to really accept the whole process. And I think, like, once I was able to accept it, there's actually, like, I mean, I think there's a lot of, like, I don't know if benefit's the right word, but, like, for, like, a working mom, like, I was able to work up until the day I had to leave. I was able to put all my energy and focus into my baby when he came home and not have to worry about my own body healing. And I think those are actually two really big benefits that I wouldn't have been able to have if I had carried myself. Um, So once I was able to like accept it, I could see kind of the positives that come out of it, but it was still crushing, like crushing to to come to that realization, especially when like your whole life, it's something that you've been like planning and like hoping and expecting. And I guess people don't grow up like thinking like, I'm going to have all these fertility issues, even though I think every woman kind of feels that in the back of their head, they're like, am I infertile? Or like, am I going to have problems? But I guess, and like, I, I I always kind of felt that you're always just like, am I going to have a problem getting pregnant? I haven't gotten pregnant yet. You know, Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. I never thought like, am I not going to be able to carry my baby? Like that was never, that was never a thought. So yeah, it was just, it was hard, but I mean, you have to have a good support system to get through all of it. But like I said, I think the turning point was once you finally accept and like embrace that this is your path, then you can like actually Mm -hmm. like see like a positive outlook on it.
0: So what did you do to get to that point? Like, did you see a therapist or did you just do work on your own? How did you get there?
1: Um, Well, you know, I was in residency still at the time. So I think like being busy helps. Um, But I think just, you know, friend support from friends and family, honestly, like just like talking to like my parents, my in-laws, my closest friends, especially my husband. It's like, you know, like this is happening. Like, this is what we have to do. Um, and you know, it it takes some time to be sad about it, but at some point, you know, we got to get it together. And like, if we want to have a baby, this is what we're going to have to do. So it was just, I think, just mostly support from close family and friends and just being able to kind of like see the other positives from the situation and then just kind of accepting that. But I think also there's that fear of, like is my baby still going to like love me like even I did not him that was like a mm-hmm. uh, that was like, like a, the bond kind of yeah, thing Yeah yeah like the bond like is is he going to be like mad at me or like disappointed mm-hmm. in which sounds so silly now because like obviously like he does he actually doesn't know any different but, Yeah yeah like I was like is he not going to love me or is he going to feel like I don't love him because I didn't carry him or like am I not going to feel as close to him So I think those were probably like the harder feelings was like kind of like worrying about that. And then like we also missed his birth cause the surrogate was out of state and it was like, is he going to be mad at me that I wasn't there mm-hmm. like that? That was, mm-hmm. And that kind of just brought like all of that old stuff back up. But so yeah, I think just the support of like close family and friends is what really got me through it though. And being busy, mm-hmm. I think too helps. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Were there any other fears That you had with having to use a surrogate?
1: You know, there's, there's always that fear of like, is this like a, like a safe person to, or like, like are they, they could like go and drink alcohol on the weekends or something like that. You just like, there's a lot of trust that I think you can get very um, it can get very negative and like, toxic almost if you focus on like, what if, what if, what if, what if, and like, that's like, uh, the whole, like embracing it and like trusting it. Like you could spend nine months being like terrified and stressed out, or like you can try to like enjoy the pregnancy and like trust that this is like a safe home and like a safe person to carry my baby. Uh, but probably the biggest fears were like, is my baby going to love me? Is he going to, like, be mad at me that I didn't carry him? Um, Am I still going to bond with him? And then I was also disappointed in the fact that I couldn't um, induce lactation or, like, breastfeeding. A lot of women can do that, uh, but my medication keeps me from doing that. So then I was like, well, is he going to still be healthy if he's not getting breast milk? But like, obviously, formula babies are completely fine. And we've gotten some donations for the breast milk and stuff. But I think those were the biggest ones for me was just kind of the connection. And like, if he's going to be mad at me, but like babies mm. are born mad at you. So it's, yeah. it sounds <laughs> so silly. But th- those were like my biggest. But they're real. Yeah. yeah.
0: But they were real concerns for you. Yeah. So, okay, so you decided you wanted to have a baby, you went through IVF, and then you got your embryos. So now it's time to find someone to carry. So what was that process like for you? Like, did you even know where to start? Or did your clinic help you?
1: I literally had no clue where to start like that's why it was and at the time I didn't realize that there was like this whole fertility community on um, social media and Mm -hmm. so and like I said none of my friends had gone through IVF let alone surrogacy so we didn't have anyone to ask I didn't know that I could go to social media to kind of Mm -hmm. find more things out. But Mm -hmm. um, usually with surrogacy, you can go two routes. You can use an agency or you can go Mm -hmm. independently. So an agency is going to handle... Um, like finding your surrogate matching you with someone they take care of like going through all the records and the screenings and kind of just like the whole process but if Mm -hmm. you go independently you definitely save money but all that responsibility is on you Um, and for us we knew that we didn't want to do it independently because it was our first time and also like the surrogacy laws like state to state are really intricate and so like we you have to get like a pre birth order to make sure like the baby's legally yours when the baby's born just like a whole list of stuff that I didn't want to have that responsibility to deal with like on top of everything else going on so we Mm -hmm. did want someone to guide us through the process but when we had met with bigger agencies at least the ones that we had spoken to it was just not a good fit for us like a lot of them Mm -hmm. felt very like used car salesmanish, or, mm-hmm. like, their websites would, like, say stuff like, oh, for the VIP package, like, only cost this much for the, mm-hmm. um, like, not vip it was weird it was like Mm -hmm. vip package to me like i think of like bottle service at the club not (laughs) not like a child and like a human and like surrogacy so it was it was we just got like a weird vibe from all the big agencies and i'm sure there's some good ones out there but so what we ended up doing was at our fertility clinic there's a coordinator there and she's basically like a one-woman agency. So she does everything an agency would, um, but it's just her. And um, she was actually a surrogate herself. So we really loved that she understood the process front and back. But um, the other thing with the big agencies was they wanted like ten to $15,000 up front before they even find you a match. And we were like, that just seems like a lot to give someone without, I don't know, like they're not going to be like motivated to find us a match. Like, how do we know that they're not just like taking our money and then like twiddling their thumbs or like getting to like 50 other people first. So we ended up going with the coordinator at the clinic when I feel so lucky that our clinic had her because not all Clinic. definitely all clinics don't have someone like that but for us she was kind of like the perfect balance between like not a big agency but still like helping us out and guiding us and so we heavily relied on her I mean she essentially does everything an agency would um, but what that means is because it's just her she's not spending a lot of money on like marketing and finding girls that way and so she found her girls through word of mouth. And she said she feels like she finds better matches, um, like better qualified and more like genuine people that way. And we loved that, but we did know, we did go into it knowing that it would probably take longer to find a match because with an agency, um, I'm sure they have like a bigger reach and they're doing marketing or that, you know, they're, they have more to put into that, but we, we just didn't like the feel of the big agencies. So, for our first match or our first surrogate, um, the coordinator at the clinic found her or knew her because she had done a surrogacy through the clinic previously. And so it just took a long time for us to match with her. Cause this was in the, also in the midst of COVID. So like basically all of 2020 was like wiped out. And so it just felt like it was taking like forever and ever. It was like, we would check in with her like every few weeks and she'd be like, any updates? And she'd be like, I have some people I'm still trying to, you know, see if they're good people or if, if it'll work. And the other thing too, is that when you match with a surrogate, you have to align on. Certain like big questions, like, um, like, do you want like right now it's like the COVID vaccine? Of course, this it wasn't back then, but COVID vaccine. So, a lot of you know, parents and surrogates defer, and you know, anyone defers in whether or not they want to get the COVID vaccine, whether they want to get the COVID vaccine while they're pregnant or in their um before they get pregnant. The other big one is like, how do you feel on termination? Like, um, if if the surrogate's life is in danger, are you willing to terminate your pregnancy? Like stuff like that. That's another big one. Um, And then, like little ones, would be like, "Are you willing to pump for breast milk once the baby's born?" Um, Like, what type of relationship do you want throughout the pregnancy and beyond the pregnancy? Like, some some women go into it being like, you know, I'm looking for a lifelong friendship and connection with this family. I'd like to see the baby frequently. Some people are like, you know, I just want a couple pictures like after the baby's born and still communicate. Um, And some people are even like, I don't. I don't want like any relationship once the baby's born. So it does take a while, I think, to make sure that uh, you align on all those viewpoints, because if you don't agree on all those things, like it's, it's just not a good match. So that's the other tricky part about like the whole matching process is that you um, there's a lot of things that have to align in order for the parents and the surrogates to actually, um, match well for the process. So, yeah. So with COVID and all of that, and then using, you know, just the one woman agency, it did, I mean, it took over a year for us to match with our first surrogate, but I mean, she was amazing and it went great.
0: But so for this second time, um, I Wait, was, let me back up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Let me back sure, up sure. just a little bit. So I have two questions. The first one was you had, you said some of the things that um, the agency was, or, you know, this one woman show that you had that yeah. was helpful for. Um, what were some of the things you said that like, cause they take care of the contracts, right? Yeah. Like what yeah. else would they manage that you wouldn't get like going independent?
1: So basically, I mean, she basically does everything. So she did find us our surrogate the first time. So like she Mm -hmm. completely took care of that. And then um, she like arranges the psych eval, for example, Mm -hmm. or um, she, she knows all the lawyers that are specializing in um, assisted reproductive contract work. So Mm -hmm. she knew exactly who to recommend for us to use for the lawyers. Uh, She knew exactly who... uh, Uh, for us to use to set up the life insurance she knew Mm. exactly um the escrow company the escrow account company for us to use so all those things where like we probably could have figured it out but it Mm -hmm. was just a lot of like time and effort and like obviously she has the experience of knowing like this Mm -hmm. is a great company this is a great Mm -hmm. lawyer she had all those connections Mm -hmm. just from you know doing it for however many years so She also reaches out to the surrogates, um, like OBGYN, gets those medical Mm. records and Mm -hmm. just kind of just coordinates and kind of handles everything in that regard. Mm -hmm. Did that Mm -hmm. answer your question?
0: Yeah, because I'm just thinking about like if people are if there are certain people who are going down this path and they're like, what are the things I need to make sure happen at the agency that I choose? Because if maybe like how do you know when you have a good agency and how do you know when you. Don't yeah. have a good one. you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And I think like those are probably the big things. So um, like matching with a surrogate, like how would they handle that? Um, and then do they know like good lawyers for your contract? Um, like do they have someone to recommend for the escrow account? Um, and then... There was one other one I was going to say. Oh, and then the other big one is just being really familiar with all the state laws. And so the laws are different in every state as far as like giving birth through surrogacy. Like for Texas, for example, we had to like do a pre-birth order and basically like had to have all this stuff signed by, it gets signed by a judge, the lawyers and everything's like done legally, but it all had to be done ahead of time. And then the hospital had to become aware of it ahead of time as well, in order for the baby to legally be ours. In some states, you the parents actually have to adopt the baby once the baby's born. And so I, I would hope that whoever you're using, uh, and the agency is like, very familiar with probably that's probably the biggest thing is just those state laws and like how to help guide you through that process. Probably if I was also using an agency, like I would want to know, um, Like, how how many potential matches they'd be able to find me? Like, what is the time frame going to look like for that? Like, are we going to expect, like, five different girls to interview in a month? Or is it going to be, like, one potential girl to talk to in six months? Like, how quickly is that process going to go? And probably also, like, how involved are they going to be throughout the whole process? How efficient, how quick are they going to be? Like, how quickly can we expect to go from an initial like FaceTime with this surrogate to signing our contracts. How available are they going to be to answer my questions? Like I can call, text, email, Gala. like literally 24-7. I can call her on the weekend. Like she she's super involved because she doesn't have a lot of clients. And so we loved that. Like she'll answer any of our questions or worries at any point in time. I don't know if you would get that from like a big agency and probably especially not on like the weekends. Um, and then also like how involved is that agency going to be with the surrogate themselves? Like Gaila is very close with all her surrogates, but she's also in close contact with us throughout the process. Is the agency like going to communicate with us, but then just kind of like, you know, forget about the surrogate during the process. Or are they going to check in on her throughout everything? So I think those would be some good things to like ask and just feel out from the agency. Um, And then at least for us, the other big one too was like, what does the fee look like? um, Almost all of them wanted like a, big chunk of change before finding our match and with gala at the clinic uh we paid a much smaller fee to her but only once we actually had matched with someone which we really liked because you know then we both have skin in the game like you know she's motivated to find me someone and like you know with the agency like it just felt like we were just giving them money and we had like no guarantee or like you know we just don't know what they're doing with that or how long it's going to take. So I think those would be some big things to look out for when you're trying to seek out an agency.
0: And what were you seeing as a range for cost? like with the different agencies and like, what did you, what would you say? Cause this was, the first one was in Texas. So mm-hmm. at least in Texas, what was the range in Texas?
1: For the agency specifically, I honestly don't remember because we never, you know, actually went through with the agency for Gala, which is our coordinator. We pay her 4,000 once we matched with a surrogate and then Another four thousand when we actually have the contract completely signed. So it's like half once you match, and then half once it's like solid, like rock solid, legally contract signed. With the agencies, they had wanted ten to fifteen thousand dollars upfront, but beyond that, I honestly don't remember because like we didn't pursue any of that. Mm
0: -hmm. And then for a match to happen, it's that you both say yes, you both like each other. And then you're like, yes, that's golden. Do you ever match more than one ever? Um, I don't know.
1: I know some parents do like multiple surrogates at at one time. So like you could potentially have like one surrogate pregnant and then a second surrogate pregnant at the same time. But Mm -hmm. as far as like the match, like I guess there's different levels to the match so Mm -hmm. i would probably say like the first process of matching would just be like getting to know the girl and like making sure that you guys are on the same page and then it's kind of like a like a verbal agreement almost you know Mm -hmm. like i think we could work out together like do you Mm want to take this a step further and like Mm -hmm. your medical records (laughs) you know so it's like probably like the first step is just kind of like a verbal mat like agreement that you're like okay let's let's continue this and then you know they have to get cleared by their ob cleared by my fertility doctor um, like make sure the like criminal background check and like the psych eval goes through so those are that would be kind of the next step and then after that, you go through all the legal portions, which is that you each have your own lawyer and you have to go through um, a contract. And it's it's not like a one page thing. It's like every outcome or possibility is like all laid out in that contract. And then for me, I feel like once the contract is actually like notarized and signed, that's to in my mind is like, okay, now, like, she's not going anywhere. Like, now this is, like, rock solid. Like, it's, like, signed and done. So, for me, I would say that's when I'm, like, the match is done. But, like I said, kind of at the beginning, it's like, oh, like, do you want to keep going yeah. with this that to me that's <laughs> yeah. kind of like a like a just like a, a verbal match but mm-hmm. you know you're not really like super committed at that point mm-hmm. it's kind of and like for all you know like that surrogate could be talking to different parents and mm-hmm. like kind of oh, feeling see. out like who she's mm-hmm. gonna like better but at least for me like whenever I'm like talking to like more than one potential surrogate I try to be up front and you know be like You know, there's one other girl that I really like, like, this actually happened this past week, like, there was one girl that I really liked out of state, there was another girl in my state that I really liked, and they like we kind of both got to the point with both of them that like, we were like, this would be a good match, I think, you know? And so I basically told both of them, like, you know, there's one other girl and I do want to just meet with this other girl who's closer to me because for us personally, that would work out better if she was only 30 minutes away versus three hours away. I want you to know that, you know, I think you're great, but I want you to take some time, talk to your husband, talk to your family. But um, if, that's okay with you. I'd like to meet with this other girl, and then maybe from there, you and I can kind of touch base like later in the week. So I'm, I still try to be upfront, but I'm sure some people are like, you know, talking to multiple people at once, like, and you don't know how far in the process they are with like other parents, you know. So I try not to. Once there's like a verbal agreement, that's when like I wouldn't be. Entertaining or talking to any other potential surrogates. Like once I'm like, okay, let's do this. Then at that point, I'm not going to say that to multiple girls because there's, there's, you can also, I don't know. I feel like it's almost a waste of everyone's time and energy if you're going through all that other stuff when you're then going to kind of turn around and be like, actually, this other girl's better. Like after they've gone through all that other stuff. So I feel like it's fair to let people know, you know, and once there's a verbal agreement, that's when it's like, okay, it's just you and I right
0: now. So. hmm So you got through with, you, you chose your agency, although she was a one man show, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then she found you, your match, or we were just getting to the point where you matched. So you wanted, mm-hmm. you were telling us about her and why you felt like she was a good match for you.
1: hmm Yeah. So we, We were open to using someone who has done it before or someone who hadn't done it before. But I think we found some peace of mind in the fact that we were her third surrogacy. So I think for us who hadn't gone through it before, for me, it was really reassuring and like almost like comforting that she I mean she knew the whole process like the back of her hand because it was her third time going through a surrogacy so I loved that and like I feel like we leaned on her a lot like oh like what's next or like and she was like don't worry like this 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 like she was really like comfortable and confident with the whole process because she had done it before but we would have been fine with someone who hadn't done it but that was nice for us um and what happened, the first time we met her was a, like through a FaceTime. And then from there, actually the first time we met her in person, she was like already pregnant with our baby, <laughs> which is crazy. But like, this was like, you know, we were in the, the height of COVID and everything, everything was just more difficult. And uh, at the time, it seemed really strange that like, that was our first time meeting her in person. But like, now I'm like, Oh, no, I don't need to meet you in person because everything is like digital and like virtual now. Um, but yeah, so after that we went through the whole process, but, um, We didn't meet her until she was actually pregnant. But even throughout the pregnancy, I think we only saw her in person maybe like three times because she was also out of state. And so that made it more difficult. But, I mean, I think it's like dating or it's like any other relationship. Like you have to you just know if like someone's going to be like a good fit for you. And like, you know, sometimes you might get played like what happened with our second journey. But like for, you know, you have to just put your trust in this person. And so we just connected. And like the first time her and I got together, we got lunch and like, we just like, you know, we went out to lunch and we just, it was like two girlf- two old friends meeting up and we were just like talking for a couple hours and it wasn't awkward at all. And so, um, I think, I think you just like know when it's like a good match. Like you, you can just feel it, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that... I don't even remember what you asked me
0: to be honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. No, no, no. We were just talking about how you how you guys matched and yeah. that's right because, you know, I, when I read and I see these things, there's a really special relationship between the person who carries and the intended parents. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes I wonder if things come up because, like you said, it's a big ask yeah. to trust someone with your baby. Like, yeah. You know, and so, like, did you ever have, like, any other fears, like... You know, I know some people talk about this where they're afraid they're going to keep their baby or they, they won't be able to get their baby after birth or, you know, I think, and like yeah. sometimes too controlling, like, what are you eating? What are you doing? Are you staying yeah. up late? Are You know, like, did yeah, that come yeah. up at all?
1: So I think that's all part of, well, okay, two parts to your question. So as far as the, um, like the involvement, kind of like what you're saying, like, what are you eating? Like, blah, blah, blah. I think that's something that the surrogate and the parents have to get on on the same page ahead of time as like usually like one of either the surrogate or the parent will ask like how involved do you want to be in this process and like i remember with elizabeth she was like i will follow any diet you want, like you tell me if there's like something special you want me to eat or like, you know, and so, and she wanted, we both wanted to be as involved as we could be. Like it was harder because I was out of state, but like as involved, we both wanted that close communication and not all people want that. Like I had spoken to a surrogate um, in Houston a couple of months back and she, her last journey the intended mom didn't even want to be there when the baby was born, which to me is crazy. But like everyone has their own reasons of like, you know, maybe she wanted that disconnect. But it's important for the surrogate and the parents to know that ahead of time so that they can find someone who's OK with that, because I'm sure a lot of women want the parents to be there. They want everyone to be involved. And so that's another big thing that you both just have to be on the same page, um, from the very beginning, as far as like, you know, like what type of communication do you want or like how involved do you want to be in the process? So that's another part of the matching. Um, and then your second question, which was, you know, like, are people ever worried? People always say like, are you worried the surrogate's going to keep the baby? I think anyone any parent who's going through surrogacy knows kind of like how silly of a question it is because and like i can understand to like an outsider how they might ask that but when you really know these women who go through this process and you know like what kind of person they are and what their intentions are it's like it's it's the silliest question like elizabeth would have would never try to keep our baby like that and I'm sure there's some horror stories where with like, like anything else in life, there's going to be bad eggs, but I think almost every single surrogate will laugh in your face. Like I, of course I would never keep the baby. Like I have, they all go into this being like, I just love being pregnant, but like, fuck no, I don't want another baby. Like, you know, (laughs) and so it's, 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 it's you know, as someone who's going through it, and I think like anyone who is going through it, it's just a silly question. But I Mm -hmm. I understand how people would maybe think that. But Mm -hmm. I don't think any surrogate has like any sort of inkling to want to keep that baby. And it's not something I was ever worried about.
0: Mm -hmm. So having been in a separate state from the person who carried, mm-hmm. I mean, you had some struggles, some difficulty with kind of coordinating schedules and things like that. Was there any other issues that came up with being in a separate state, like things you didn't like? I think,
1: um, you know, we made it work for sure. Like, um, she was, she, we tried to FaceTime for all the appointments. And if I wasn't able to FaceTime, then she always took a video from me, which was great. Um, I would have loved to be there in person, um, but, you know, the other side of it is I didn't have to miss much work, you know, because if we were, I was able to just kind of like, you know, in between patients, go on a FaceTime and like mm-hmm. see the appointment and then go back to seeing my patients. So, I mean, there's a benefit to that, too. But probably the only the the one major hiccup was just not being able to be there when he was born because she she, we knew she was going to probably deliver around 38 weeks because that's just how all of her pregnancies have gone. And so I had taken off work at like 37 and a half weeks, kind of just expecting that. Retrospect, probably should have taken off a little more wiggle room. But she and she goes into labor and delivers like so quick. And so we ended up, we were planning to go to Dallas the next day, but the day before, I think it was like at like six in the morning, she called and she was like, it's happening. Like you need to get on the road right now. And so we ended and then literally within two hours, like the baby was out. Like it was so quick and we're five hours away. So that was probably like the only kind of like, I don't want to say bad thing because like her and baby were both safe. So that's all that matters. But the only hiccup was that was truly, I think, like the only hiccup out of the whole process. But I mean, there's some people that I mean, I've heard some bad stories where it's like, you know, the surrogate and the parent never talk again, or like they may disagree on something and it blows up into this huge thing. And that's really unfortunate. But I think that's also just part of like a careful match.
0: Mm hmm. And so you were talking earlier about some of your fears, fear of not bonding and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. what happened after your baby was born? Well, so, how did you feel?
1: Well, in the car, I was really upset because I was like, "I'm, not, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to be there when he's born. He's going to hate me. Like, is he going to be mad at me?" So th- that was happening in the car ride. But by the time I got there, and like, uh, like just kind of the baby was safe and she was safe. You know, I was over, I was pretty much over that by the time we got there. Cause we had nothing to do in the car, but just kind of digest. Um, but I know like once the baby was born, like everything was completely fine. It was like going, going into this next one. I don't have that fear because like it was fine. Like,
0: yeah. He loves me. The bonding was him. great. You still, yes, you still felt like the flood of emotions. You still mm-hmm. felt like mm-hmm. completely connected with him and everything.
1: Yeah, like and I think like, and what a couple of people actually said, like along the way too, was like, dads don't carry their baby either, you know? And yeah, and I don't know, maybe it is more difficult for dads to bond with their baby, but I guess they hopefully usually always do. Um, but yeah, no, once he was here, it, I mean... Looking back, like, I I wish I could tell myself not to worry about it so much. But definitely going into this next pregnancy, like, it's not going to be, like, a fear that I have anymore, luckily.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like this first experience was, like picture perfect like just about Mm -hmm. as good as you can get it to be it sounded like you had for your first experience so now let's transition to your second (laughs) now you're trying Mm -hmm. to get pregnant again trying to have a second baby let's talk about what this process has been like for you sure
1: well I guess a couple big things so for this second process we we still wanted to use the coordinator gala to handle like everything as kind of like our one woman agency Um, but kind of throughout the last you know like couple of years when we were going through all of this I found a lot of surrogacy stuff on it started with Instagram where like I think I honestly don't know how it started but somehow like just going down the the rabbit hole of like the hashtags I don't know if I like saw like a poster if so, maybe my phone was listening and like made a surrogate's mm-hmm. post pop up <laughs> or something yeah. but I like I remember just spending like hours like looking at like all like surrogacy hashtag, gestational carrier hashtag, like fertility hashtag, like IVF hashtag. It just like it was like it like blew my mind because like I had no idea that there were all these like surrogates and parents and like women going through all this fertility stuff on Instagram. And then one day like a light bulb just kind of clicked and I was like, there's all these women on here. Like I should just like talk to them. Like, yeah. At that point point, I was just like stalking and like creeping, you know, and like not (laughs) saying anything. But then like one day I was like, why don't I just like talk to some of them? And so then like, you know, I just like started following them and it was nice to kind of see their perspective on the whole process. And then eventually I just like, started like just like cold messaging like even people that I wasn't following literally just like messaging like a ton of girls and just trying to make connections and like ask them about their experiences and then also like are you planning to do another journey like would you be possibly interested in like talking and so i had no idea that there were all these people there that i could connect with but We didn't end up finding a match through Instagram, but I mean, I've met like so many great surrogates and there's a couple that in the future I could see maybe possibly matching with. um, But they're a little further away as far as like location goes. So that's kind of what prevented it. But no, there's like so many great women and also not only surrogates, but people going, as you know, people going through their own fertility journeys. I just had no idea that there were all these people on social media, like talking about it and definitely with the surrogacy, like I had no idea. Um, And so then I also, and I also don't remember exactly how, but um, i re, or I made a new Facebook when I started my new job, and then um, I found that there were some surrogacy Facebook groups. Like I had, mm-hmm. and I haven't been on Facebook in like a decade, so like I, <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that there's like like Facebook groups like basically for anything you could ever think mm-hmm. of. <laughs> I had no mm-hmm. idea, and so I joined a couple. Texas surrogacy Facebook groups and so there's actually a lot of parents and surrogates who find matches through those Facebook groups and so I joined a couple and you know it's great because you can like ask questions and people will give you like a lot of helpful insight and answers but people also match very frequently in there and so for our second I was like I am just gonna like try to find a match myself like I know Gayla's doing her you know she's doing her thing and trying to find us someone but you know it's maybe a little slower than we would like and I was like fuck it like I'm just gonna like try to talk to girls myself and so posted in the Facebook group and then that's kind of what started it kind of that whole process was then you know you have like women will be like, Hey, like, can we like message and maybe see if we're a match? And so basically at that point, you're just like, you know, messaging different girls through Facebook or Instagram, but, um, and then just kind of going through that whole process of, you know, asking questions, just getting to know each other and just trying to feel out if you would be a good match. And so for our second, while, um, our first was pregnant, I had posted in the Facebook group and then found one girl who we we thought was great. And so we verbally matched, sent her to Gala at the clinic and then, you know, went through the whole process of screenings, psyche valve, clearance, contracts, escrow account, everything. Um And then we were going to transfer earlier this year. And then we found out the month of our transfer that she was pregnant. And so that kind of put a damper on everything. Yeah. Um, And we thought she was great, but, you know... Like I said, like, like, like any other relationship, people can, yes. you know, people don't always show their true colors. So I think it yeah. was a blessing in disguise that we found out at the very beginning.
0: Um, but, but there's a couple of things to note about yeah, that. Right. Because sure. technically in theory, they're supposed to be done with family building. Right. Right. For for some clinics, that's the rule. I, I don't know if that's for, like the rule that, across the board.
1: That's like a baseline that like you oh, okay. you're done having children of your own.
0: Yeah. And so that's number one. And then number two, there's a stipulation in the contract, right? Right. That like, says once you're, mm -hmm. once
1: you get close to that transfer, there's like a window where you're supposed to not get pregnant. Abstain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, And then the other one would be that like, you know, if you're married, you have to have your husband like tested for STDs and get a Mm -hmm. psyche valve and like all that other stuff. Um, And so for our second, she was a single mom, but she didn't disclose that she had a boyfriend or like a partner at the time. Mm -hmm. And so when that happened, we, I mean, we really weren't expecting that Mm because she didn't disclose that she had a partner or a boyfriend. So that was Mm -hmm. the other thing too, that I, I had felt was a little dishonest was that she didn't disclose that. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, just
0: all of that. And
1: Obviously, she's not our surrogate. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) So is there, like, for someone who's, like, new to this process and they're like, oh, what do I do? I need to ask, like, just straight out ask, like, are you in a relationship or like, would you recommend doing that? Or I mean, they can still lie, of course. Right. Sure. Sure. Well, so retrospect, um, it's not something
1: I mean, I'm sure that's a question Gala had asked her in part of Uh, her screening. But Mm -hmm. I think since that happened to us, I would probably get with Gala and be like, "Are we really sure?" <laughs> She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and when I was trying to like once that kind of fell through, and when I was talking to girls on Facebook again, like I did, um, there was one that seemed really good, but she couldn't move forward because of family stuff. But she let me know that she was. She was a single mom, but like her ex-husband was still around. But she like fully disclosed to me that um, since her recent child was born and I think like the child was like had to have been like eight years old or something. And she was like, since then, we have not been intimate at all. And like he and we're not together. Like he is not part of the process, even though he's like in my life. And so that was something that like I made sure to like talk with her about. Whereas I feel like if what happened with the other one hadn't happened to us, I probably wouldn't like kind of probe that much. But like, I had no problem being like, well, like, have you been intimate with him, even though you guys aren't legally together anymore, I probably wouldn't have like asked that much if we didn't go through what happened so I I mean I think it's definitely made just made me more aware of you know different situations and to try to kind of dig into that a little more because I I personally had never asked her like are you seeing anyone or like she just told us that she was a single mom but I'm sure Gayla probably asked those questions but yeah like if if we if that were to ever come up again, I, like and I did just kind of try to ask a little bit more.
0: Mm-hmm. So some people might ask, like, why not use the same surrogate again, surrogate again from the first time? Mm-hmm. So are there rules against like repeating the same surrogate? Or? Yeah. So
1: it's I think it's actually like amazing to use the second to use your surrogate for a second time and i think that does happen pretty frequently um but with ours um we well a couple things we wanted to get going on a second journey sooner than we knew elizabeth would be like physically cleared um and also we went into this um because we were her third surrogacy and she had also had two kids of her own so we were her fifth pregnancy Um, she thought that we were going to be her last journey. Like She was like, this is my last one. After this, I'm done. But basically, after she gave birth, she was like, oh, I need to do it one more time. Mm. (laughs) Um, And so, at that point, though, we had already matched with this second one. Um, And then kind of what happened, once that one fell through, um, Elizabeth was wanting to move forward with another, with one, one last journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but because she's had five pregnancies and deliveries, my fertility clinic wanted her to wait a full 12 months before doing it again. Cause usually I think for most clinics, five is like, it's usually five is the limit and there's our exceptions. Like, for, like for our clinic, the, the exception was they didn't want, they wanted her to wait a full 12 months. Um, but Elizabeth got cleared by her OB, I think, like it was like maybe four or five months afterwards. And she knows her body best. Her doctor knows her body best. And so she was like, Yeah, just for us and for our family, like I don't want to wait another, um, like six or eight months before doing another journey, which I totally understood. So she's actually happily found another couple and she's hopefully going to get pregnant next month. So she's still moving forward but yeah so for our clinic they wanted her to wait 12 months um because after five deliveries like risks of everything go way up so it just didn't work out and I wish it could have her and I are still very close but just the timing of you know her and I for this next journey just didn't align but no I think it's amazing for a surrogate to use um or to do a sibling journey for parents, because you already know the person you're comfortable with them. Like, uh, I feel like Elizabeth and I could like talk about anything and like, it's like not awkward or gross or weird. Like we're already so close from going through a journey together. Like, I think it would be awesome to do it again. And like, you don't have to go through like that whole matching process again. And like, you know, and like, even like going through that is like, you know, you're having to, like, open yourself up to someone new again. And, like, even that, like, takes a lot out of you. You know, it's like having to, like, put your trust in a stranger again, you know, whereas with someone you've already done it with, you're already comfortable with that person. So, yeah, I think it's great if you can, but I think it just doesn't always work
0: out. Had you considered using someone that you know or anything? Did that ever cross your mind? Yeah, and... I think I've,
1: as we've gone through the process, I've actually changed my viewpoint on that a little bit. So when we were first starting to look for someone, um, one of our close friends was like, I'll be your surrogate. And I think I was at first like a little, I guess I had some big concerns about like what if something happened to them during like the delivery? Like, God forbid something happens during delivery. Like, you know, like our families are so close and like you want to say that it's not going to affect anything. But like, let's just like play like let's let's just say the worst case scenario. scenario. Yeah. If she died during childbirth. Right. That's like a big thing. And that does happen. You know, it's probably happened. Women die all the time giving birth, even though it's not like it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens. And so to me, I was like, how can I live with myself and how can our families move past that if something happened? Then the other side of it is, let's say something happened to like, let's say something happened to the baby during pregnancy or like there was like a miscarriage for some reason, totally nothing she did am I going to feel resentment towards my close friend? Like, I I want to say that I wouldn't, but, like, I also, you don't know how you handle trauma until you go through it, right? Like, I want to say that I'm a better person than that to not feel resentment, but, like, I don't know if I would or wouldn't, you know? So those were kind of the big things that I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I would want to use someone that, I'm that close with. But I guess, especially after what happened with the second potential one that got pregnant, I think I've kind of come full circle in that actually it would be good to use someone that you like really trust. So I think if if that came up again, or if I had someone else that I was close with offer that, I, would, I think I would consider it more than I did the first time. Because I think when we were just starting the process, I was kind of going through like all the worst case scenarios in my head. But I mean, the opposite of that is like, do you, can you ever like really trust a stranger? Like, like when you start this process, cause like I fully trusted that second surrogate and then like, obviously that was a wash. So yeah, I don't know. It's hard. It's definitely hard. I think and I I don't know everyone feels differently on that too but it's I think it's it's just complicated and intricate on like many levels but I think I would definitely consider it more now um, as opposed to when it first came up.
0: Mm -hmm. So where are you now after so the first one didn't work out the first mm-hmm. second one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, first second one. So yeah. <laughs> so what now? What? Because was that was that recent?
1: That was earlier this year. So fairly fairly recent, like a couple months ago. Um, well, I guess so. What's happened recently is, um, I am in some like local mommy Facebook groups, and I actually like never thought to post in there, and so like this had to have been in the last week or two, like. I, get, I think I just got a notification from one of the groups that like someone had said something about surrogacy and I was like oh my gosh like why literally this whole entire Facebook group is just moms like I don't know why I didn't think to ever post in there and so I made a post in there and I mean it's got so many women reaching out like in the in the Texas surrogacy groups they're they're pretty like oversaturated because you know all all that's getting posted in there is like parents like wanting to find a surrogate, you know? And so it's very oversaturated, but in the mommy group I had posted and like, I had so many great girls reach out. I I was almost like shocked. I was like shocked. And so like, I was, I just felt so like grateful that they were reaching out and, and, I I was just like so touched, I guess is the right word. I was just so touched, but that there were so many women reaching out. And so um, we, as of what day is it? Saturday. As of yesterday, we have officially verbally matched with one of those women. Yay! Yay! Yeah. Yeah. So that happened really recently. But yeah, so basically just like talked to all the women that reached out, went through all the questions um, mm-hmm. And then we actually found someone who's only thirty minutes away from us, which oh my is gosh. crazy. Yeah. And so it's going to be a way different journey because, mm-hmm. like, I'll be able to be like way more involved and like close by, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. obviously, need, hopefully, not miss the birth. And mm-hmm. so. Yeah, it's, I think it's going to be different, but still really, really awesome that it's someone who's mm-hmm. so close to us. So, yeah, that's the latest update with that. But I think she's going to be awesome. So I'm super Yay, excited. Yeah. <laughs> so is, is this her
0: first journey? Is this the first time she's... Yep. Ah, okay. Yeah, Yeah,
1: this will be her okay. first time. Um, but, yeah, she's, she's always wanted to do it, especially, like, the last, like, year or so. She's really been thinking about it hard. And then... Mm-hmm. Um, it probably was just kind of one, like, I guess a, a couple of the women that had reached out, they they were just like, you know, it's been on my mind. And I mm. guess it, my post just popped up and, <sighs> you know, like it was just yeah. kind of the timing of everything. Because like for us, like we really want to start our next journey before the end of this year. And for the girl that we're moving forward with, she was like, I kind of told myself if it didn't happen before the end of the year, then like I would kind of close that chapter. So the timing just worked out. That's another big thing that I didn't mention. Timing when you're matching with someone that has to align too. because some people are like, I, I don't want to do it till next year. I want to do it as soon as possible. But yeah, so for her and I both, we really wanted to get this started before the end of the year, but it just worked
0: out. Do you look for an age limit or a certain age or
1: anything like that? Most clinics have, I think it's usually 40 is their cutoff, but there's always exceptions to that. You've probably heard how some some women have had their moms carry for them. Mm -hmm. So there's Mm -hmm. always an exception to any of the requirements. There's exceptions. But I think for most clinics, it's usually 40 years old. For us personally, as long as they're in that range that my doctor's comfortable with, it doesn't bother me. So Elizabeth was, I think she turned 40 while she was pregnant with Kai. And so, um, I have no problem using someone who's on the older end of that age range. Um, but the one that we're using for this, the one that we're verbally matched with, she's 35. So she's a little bit younger than Elizabeth was, but again, like I, it wouldn't bother me if she was 39. Um, and I think most clinics want you to I think it's maybe at least 21 years old. Um, I don't remember what like the lower cutoff is, but I do know it's around 40 is like the upper cutoff.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's obviously a lot of bad that can happen <laughs> during mm-hmm. all of this. What What is something that you think was good that came out of this whole crazy journey? I think,
1: well... The good that came out of it, I guess, was our son, first of all. Um, Aside from that, though, I think just kind of like appreciating the process and like the journey, like I said, just kind of really embracing it. And also, it definitely opened my eyes to different routes or like different journeys of fertility. Cause like you said, like I'm not going through infertility, but I am going through fertility stuff, you know? And so I think like the other big thing is just opening my eyes to all of that. And I think I've been also to, you know, I don't have a lot of followers on Instagram, but I do feel like I've been able to educate the followers I do have, including colleagues, peers, friends, and family about this side of my fertility process. And I think I've been able to help educate about the process of surrogacy. And I think I've also been able to just connect with a lot of great women. So all of that has been good stuff. And when I first started posting about the surrogacy stuff on Instagram, I mean, I was actually just so shocked with how many people, like, were going, like, through not only surrogacy stuff, but, like, fertility issues that I had no idea about. Like, and I guess the other big thing, too, is that I had a lot of people reach out that, um, that were following me, but I didn't know them personally. But I had a lot of women reach out and just say, like, thank you for, like, talking about this. Like, thank you for speaking about it because, like, I'm going through this, this, this. No one, I've had people say, like, my family doesn't approve. I have no one to talk to about this. Or people, like, like I've been thinking about surrogacy and, you know, you've helped me kind of, like, learn a lot about the process. Or um, I've been able to actually connect with some women that are, going to go through surrogacy. I've had a lot of like long phone calls with a lot of women who are about to start their surrogacy process. One of them is going to go see Dr. Thomas in Dallas. If anyone oh. needs a doctor. <laughs> so, um, and so like even that, like I've been able to, you know, like help this one girl, you know, get in touch with Dr. Thomas, who's amazing. And so that has probably actually been the best part of all of this is just connecting with all these women. And I think, I think I've hopefully like helped a lot of them too, which is like, every time I get a message that, you know, is asking for advice or just saying thank you, like that's been like really rewarding as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, as uh, there's so many things that you said that I think are important. I think one two is like, even though you're not infertile, that's not your issue, um, you still know the pain and struggle of having to go through this process. And mm-hmm. I think that's so true that we have to talk about, too, because we only I mean, when we think about this process, you think a lot of just the people who are struggling to get pregnant, not necessarily mm-hmm. that, OK, I'm fertile. All this stuff is here and works, but I can't physically right. carry. Right. And that's that comes with A lot of similar baggage that we carry as people who are infertile. Like, I feel like my body is, like, totally failed me. Like, Mm -hmm. I, you know, and being a female, you're like, I'm expected to be able to do these things and I can't. So you feel... Like, you're not as woman as the other person who can right. either cure your pregnancy or make their own embryos sure. or whatever. So I think that's, like, super important to kind of point out. And I think also have, like, the tribe that you build and find mm-hmm. and stuff, too, because the support yeah. is so important. Like, I'm sure when you found out about your second, first surrogate, <laughs> that, like, <laughs> like that you were totally, like, I'm sure devastated because you were, like, yeah. ready to go. You were super, super excited. Right. and. That can be, like you said, like a crushing blow to everything that you had planned or seen for yourself. So if you have to go through that alone, it's really hard. For sure. So I, I think it's so true. I, just about every person I've asked who's gone through these fertility struggles have said the best thing that has come out of all of this is the support that they get from all the these other people. community, yeah. Are, yeah. Yeah. Which is so crazy because I did the same thing at my first um, – ivf cycles in 2018 i had no idea this existed that there's this whole like thing out there where people are talking about it and giving each other tips and like supporting each other and like you know right educating people i'm like had i known about this i know like it would have been like a game changer like (laughs) right well and then you and i before we're talking about like also feeling like you could speak up for yourself and like if you know, ask for a second opinion or if right. it doesn't feel right or if you don't trust right. then you should say something and be like, Hey, like we need yeah. to talk about this, like and stand up. For I yourself. guess
1: you only come to that realization, well A, once you've like gone through it, but also mm-hmm. like talking to other women that have gone through it too, or like mm-hmm. you know, like hearing everyone else's story makes you wanna speak up more and like mm-hmm. try to help more people, you know, like like you mm-hmm. were saying, you know?
0: Yeah, no, for sure, and I, I think there is something about getting those messages when people say like, "Oh my gosh, like, you know, thank you so much for you know having so and so on because they talked about their journey and that was yeah. so helpful for me." And it's just yeah. like, you know, like I'm sure someone hearing your story who also has an autoimmune issue and has to consider you right. know having a carrier, like it would be so beneficial to hear, right. You know everything that you've gone through, all the kind of you know trials and all the joys that you've had right um, and I'm actually
1: there was actually one girl that um, went to college with my husband and I and Mm -hmm. she actually because I started posting and like she was like hearing about it more and learning about it she actually decided to become a surrogate which I thought was so cool like she she had been like it was on her mind a lot and then Mm -hmm. like once she saw me posting about it she kind of like took it as her sign and like she was just like super inspired and so she's actually like in her process of becoming a surrogate that was the other really cool thing that happened I forgot to mention (laughs)
0: yeah no that is so cool I mean like actually in a way you could say I have helped bring babies (laughs) (laughs) you created life I mean like let's just say that right you created life um but no i think that's so um it's so important to point out too and even talking about it more too takes the stigma away from 100 needing a carrier yeah or you know whatever the case may be for whatever reason why you need a carrier or or even if you want to be you know Mm -hmm. i think for a long time there was like You know, it's like, well, why don't you just adopt or, you know, it's like the Mm -hmm. same kind of thing that we hear Mm -hmm. all the time, too, with fertility struggles is they're like, oh, well, why are you spending all this time and money? Just adopt, you know, or something. And so I think once we start showing and sharing these experiences and, you know, hopefully this becomes more normal and people won't be so quick to say some of these things. Yeah. And and in their defense, I get it. They're, They're. their intention is not to harm; is to help. Um, but I Most think in the having time. these, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then having these conversations, and we can say, you know what, that's not super helpful.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Here's
0: what you can say, you know, yeah, and maybe totally. stay away from these things. Yeah. Um. But we have just a couple of questions. Let's see here. Um. One of the questions is, how did you come to terms with having to use a gestational carrier? I'm having a hard time accepting.
1: So I think just getting as much support as you can from your loved ones. And it's really just a mental switch of acceptance, just like, you know, anything else, like, you know, like I think it's really easy to fall into the slippery slope of like, why is this happening to me? And like, why am I going through this? And probably what's also and I guess I didn't really put this together until I just started talking, but probably what's also prepared me for this mentally is my autoimmune disorder, because I feel like with that, I could very easily, you know, have dropped out of school or gotten addicted to pain medication or lived a very negative life like why is my body doing like why is my body doing this to me or like why am I living with this pain and all of that so I think that's probably actually prepared me a little bit to kind of accept this big thing more um but I I guess my only advice would be that you know it's hard to it's hard to Put the positive energy out there without accepting it. So, whether that's, you know, exercising more, seeking a therapist, talking to your girlfriends, you know, talking to your husband, whatever it is that you have to do to just kind of make that mental switch. I don't know. For me, it was just the support of my friends and family that helped me get through that. And like I said, maybe just kind of with the whole autoimmune thing, like just having to kind of accept that this is your life and your path. But I don't know, whatever that takes to help you get through that. And there are positives to it. Like if I could tell this girl, like, you know what, like imagine having a C-section and, you know, not even being able to bend over to pick up a pacifier off the floor or like, you know, having to like go to the bathroom and be worried about your stitches or like, I mean, obviously these aren't things I haven't gone through firsthand, but just from talking with, you know, other women about what happens after pregnancy, I was able to put all of my energy and focus into my baby. And I think I'm so lucky that I was able to do that and not have to worry about all these other things. I didn't have to worry about postpartum depression which has taken lives and which has affected the way you raise your child and affected your life in many ways. Um, So I think those are positives that come out of surrogacy. So, you know, I think once you can kind of just embrace that and just kind of accept it, you'll be able to see those positive things, but I know it's hard, but I think whatever you need to do to get that support and make that mental switch you'll be able to get there hopefully, but at least, at least for me, it was just the support of friends and family.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, The next question is, do you have advice on how to fund a gestational carrier? The cost scares me.
1: Yes, it is a huge, huge cost. Um, I would say look into different avenues. Um, One of the girls that I've met through Instagram, who is a parent, um, she's going through her second journey right now. Um, she, so her mom was her first surrogate, so that saved her a lot of money. So if you have a family member or someone that you're close with, oftentimes it can save you money that way. Going independent can save you money. But there's also there are surrogates out there that are willing to take a smaller fee. You just have to really, really take the time to find them. So if you're looking to save a lot of money on your surrogacy journey, it will probably take a lot more effort. It will probably take longer, but there are girls out there who are okay with that. Um, And so this friend whose mom, her mom was her first surrogate. Um, Her second journey, she was able to find someone who, is okay with a much smaller fee than like our surrogate for example um but it took her a long long time to go through to start her second journey so i would say it's not impossible but whatever you got to do to you know try to save money if that's what you got to do then there is a way it's just going to be a little harder i think
0: and is that like negotiated through the agency or is that like if you're independent or maybe is it both, you could do either or kind of thing? Uh,
1: yeah. So I guess it's, it. it comes down to the contract. Um, and so at least for us, we kind of, we went through Gala and Gala was kind of basically like, this is like what a standard like fee would be for someone who's done a journey before successfully. And then she kind of was like, talked to both of us made sure we were okay and then it goes into the legal contract um so i think if you're doing it independently it's probably something that you discuss ahead of time and then you just have the lawyers put that into the contract um but i mean everything's like negotiable but you guys just got to be on the same page
0: Mm -hmm. do you know what the average fee is for a surrogate i mean you know because it it probably varies state by state or is it like the same across the I U.S.? Think,
1: I think it varies state by state. I think it also varies whether you're caring for parents in the U.S. versus out of the country. I think out of the country, parents will pay higher fees for surrogates that are in the U.S. because it's if they're coming to the U.S. to find a surrogate, it's probably harder for them to find one in their own country. Um, I think like probably a good. So there's a base compensation that the surrogate gets. And so that's basically the money that she's guaranteed like every month throughout the process and she still gets more on top of that but when we talk about like surrogate fee we usually are talking about their base compensation and i think like for someone who hasn't done it before it's usually around 30,000 if it's someone who has done it before it can be anywhere from like 45 to 60,000 and so it's it's a big range but it really just i think depends on Um, what state you're in, um, whether they've done it before, whether you're out of the country or not. And then also, like I was saying, there's there's probably a smaller group of surrogates who are willing to take like an even lower base compensation. But you just got to find them. And then obviously, if you're using like a family member or like a sister, it's probably a lot lower, too.
0: Yeah. Well, and that excludes like having to like pay for their childcare, Right. Or does it? Yes. That, in
1: case- that fee is is their like you could think of it just kinda of like a base guaranteed salary. Guaranteed mm-hmm. salary. So they're gonna get that as a baseline and then other fees would be like, you know, like small amount of money for maternity clothes each month or mm. um, if they have to get childcare or if they have to miss work or uh, if it's twins, then that there's like an additional, they get like an extra uh. fee or stuff like that. So, but mm-hmm. all of those are just, those are all on top of that base
0: compensation. Mm-hmm. Wow, there's like a lot to consider. And I mean, like, yeah, I know there's a lot going on. But like, I want to thank you so much for spending all this time like talking about like everything that you're yeah, that you're going through and um, your whole experience and um, particularly, you know, all the ups and downs. So thank you so very much for for having this conversation. It was so helpful hearing all this stuff. Like, oh, I'm so I'm glad so much for having me. I'm happy to spread the
1: surrogacy awareness and the fertility stuff anytime. So no, thank you so much for having
0: me. Yes. No, I mean, like I, I want to hopefully we'll get an update soon. I mean, I'm sure we'll see it on Instagram or something yeah. like that. But yeah. <laughs> if people if people want to connect with you or they have questions for you, how can they reach out to you? Um, so probably Instagram is the best
1: way to find me. And I I'm, I'm always checking my messages or like my message requests. So even if I'm not following you, like I will see your message. And that's probably usually how most people reach out. But I think my emails on there, too, if you want to do one extra click, but probably yeah. just sending me an Instagram message. Um, I'm happy to talk to anyone who has any questions
0: or anything. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that you responded to my lurky message. Cause I, was like, I was like, oh, hmm, I want to talk to you. And so I'm just like, I don't know if she's going to respond to me, but I was just some like lurker in the background too. Where I'm like, hey, how's it going? Want to chat? Yeah. And it worked it, out so well. I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I, I felt to,
1: like I'm I'm open to it. I guess because I've been that person like reaching out to so many yeah. surrogates and women on Instagram. So yeah. I'm like completely down with it. Yeah. I know like for <laughs> most people they're like, oh, like this person doesn't follow me. Like I'm scared to message. But yeah, and some people don't check their message, but I, if anyone has any questions, like I do check all the messages and I will happily answer them.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, I'm, I mean, it'd be great for us to check in again after your second experience yeah, to see if you've gained any other wisdom from yeah. the second experience. I would love to. Well, thank you again. We will chat soon, hopefully to hear more. Um, and yeah. And if anything else comes up, please like you have an open invite to come back. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you want a question or topic covered in future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at 40 and infertile. Make sure you hit the subscribe button for alerts and new episodes. And I hope to see you back again soon. Bye.